Want the latest Sport Calgary updates in one place? Sign up for Sport Calgary's newsletter for the latest monthly updates sent straight to your inbox. Sign up at sportcalgary.ca. Hiya, kids. How you holding up? Everybody doing good? You enjoying your summer? Uh, we got to stay safe. I hope you're wearing a mask. I hope you're still sanitizing your hands and all those sort of things, social distancing. Uh, the, orig- the, the original cause for this podcast is uh, still amongst us as we see a little uh, spike here in our province. Uh, nice to see some sports back and going. I think that's positive as we head towards the fall. Hopefully we get some more news, but we got to take care of each other. we got to do our part to make sure we keep this curve flat and bashed into the ground, so to speak. I'm your podcasting pal, Rob Kerr. Uh, this is the original Six Feet Conversation podcast for Sport Calgary. You can uh, subscribe at uh, at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, we're heading towards 60 podcasts here in the last three or four months, so it's been a lot of fun. All about people from Calgary or Calgarians or sports or sport people in Calgary or sports in Calgary history. Today actually is a really good podcast, full disclosure, decent, good, real longtime friend of mine. Um, and, and we're going to tell some stories. Uh, and the funny thing was when I reached out to our guest and I said, Hey, listen, would you do the podcast? He said, yes, but you know, I don't like doing interviews and, but I'll do it. And then day of, he's sending me some texts. What are you going to ask me? Is this, and you know, I said, look, you know, we can stop. If you make any mistakes, we can do edits, whatever you need. Don't worry about it. And as it turns out, um, it wasn't a short one. We went and we went and we went. And you, if you, if you, with that knowledge, just listen to the podcast. You can just tell right at the front end, a little nervous, but as it goes on, settles in and it's a lot of fun. Um, very pleased that Scott Crookshank is going to spend some time with us. Uh, he has been a beat reporter covering the Calgary Flames since 2000. So two decades. Uh, add to that, uh, he has covered the Stampeders. He has covered, uh, well, we'll get into it, some baseball, soccer, all kinds of different sports, but primarily the Flames. And there'll be a lot of hockey talk in this conversation. Uh, mostly he worked for the Calgary Herald, but more recently is working for the Athletic. Uh, and it's a new endeavor. So um, first, by the way, the first kind of conversation we have um, of with somebody who's kind of back to normal, as it were. Um, mostly the, the, the conversations have been about the pause and, and not working. This one's a little bit different. At least it starts there. Some great stories with Scott. He's a lot of fun. Uh, can't wait to share this conversation with you. do want to remind you, though, in light of COVID-19, Sport Calgary has compiled together a directory of webinars and digital events to help you stay connected in the Calgary sport community. Learn more at sportcalgary.ca. Well, let's spend some time with my pal. Uh, we call him Bear. You know him as Scott Crookshank from The Athletic. He's our guest. super nervous why we'll start there why would you be nervous i have known you as a friend now for close to 17 years i have known you professionally for closer to 20 years why on god's green earth would you be nervous talking to me i don't know it's just not well we also had uh overlapping years in fort mcmurray but we didn't cross paths we were there not that i know of no Unless you watch, unless you watch my crazy uh, Tuesday night talk show on ABC TV Ten, which you were never a guest, I never invited you to be a guest. We have a mutual, we have a mutual acquaintance in CJ Phillips. Right, 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 right. And then I knew of you because you were. When did you jump on the Flames beat? When did you become a beat reporter for the Flames? Two thousand. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So when I was doodling up in Edmonton with my little late night 
Christian radio sports talk show. Uh, I'm pretty sure you were on as a guest once in a while because <clears throat> you made the mistake of answering the phone. There I go. Right? Right. <laughs> right? Okay. okay. Fair enough. So that. So why would you be nervous talking to me? I'm just generally nervous. You and are. Just... Okay. So here's how I would describe. Somebody comes up to me and goes, tell me about Scott Cruikshank. Okay. Hell of a writer. Awesome writer. Great writer. Really good reporter. Journalist. Absolutely. Does not know how good he is on radio. That's what I would say. That's what I would say. And I would say I know how bad I am on radio. And that's why I like to go on once in a while, just to kind of remind them how <laughs> crappy I am. And then go a year or two without a call. <laughs> See, I I disagree. I um, One of the things that I am, I don't know, proudest is the right word, but one of the things I appreciate the most is, for me in my career, you were part of the golden age of it. Like, like it never got better than, you know, three reporters from the Herald, three reporters from the Sun, four TV stations, three different radio stations, you know, and a couple of national. That was day in, day out, the Flames, or even the Stampeders in the summertime, right? Like that was right. that that was the golden days, and you were part of that. And we would bitch and moan about, oh, we have to wait. We have to wait. We're always waiting. But then we would come up with some great stories. We would tell some fantastic lies. And the nicknames, you know, flew uh, fast and furious, right? Those were the golden days. You were part of that. Yeah. It feels golden to you, does it? Yes. Kind of a yeah. Right? Don't you think? Yeah. I think so. When I, when I first uh, got on the beat, there, there were days, especially Sundays, where you'd go down there and it would be Randy Sportak, me, and for whatever reason, always on a Sunday morning, Bill Powers. Yeah. But that was it. And now I can't imagine a three-person day at the Dome ever, ever. Yeah. I don't think it ever gets You mean the minimum of three? Or a maximum of three? Those Sundays, those Sundays it was a maximum of three. Well, that's what but I mean, yeah. 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 For some- now it's... It, no. Never less than double digits. Is it? Does it even get to double digits anymore? There's a lot of us, and and, and the Flames have their own crew. Well, true. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. No, but there there was a certain rhythm to it back there. It started. I think it dissolved a little bit after the lockout in 0405. I think the world changed. The business changed. Um, but I think in Calgary, you're right. Like there was a rhythm to it. Now it's Sunday. Now it's Sunday. You know, who, who's going to work on Sunday? I'm not working on Sunday. Just yeah, yeah. just work Saturday night. Why would I work Sunday? Right? <laughs> but it, but there was. There was a kind of a, I don't know, a feel to it, a vibe, right? Which has changed, as you've said. It's a different. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's a worse, a worse vibe, but it's a different vibe. For sure. Well, my guess is when you came aboard, George Johnson, who's been a guest on this podcast, um, Downsy, you know, there would have been some guys that had, had put on some miles before you that probably would have made the same claim that, wow, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years, well, I guess 20 years ago, there might not have been a team, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it had changed then, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, George tells stories and, and kind of how it was better back in the day and I'm not sure about better again either, but different, different for sure. 
well, I think we all take ownership of our era, right? Yeah, but but I'm not one to the golden age things too much. No, you don't opine for the old. You don't opine for the 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 times in the past where no, no, not at all. Are you gonna Are you gonna okay? And I told you, you said, well, I'm nervous. I said, well, it's not an interview. It's a conversation. There are going to be questions, so don't fling it back at me that I said it wasn't going to be an interview. Yeah. Having said all of that, this is really the first sports interview we've done on this podcast, the original Six Feet Conversation podcast, after a sport has come back. Prior to this, the 50-plus conversations have all been about kind of the anxiety well, of no sport, right? Like, it's gone. Will it come back? Let's tell some stories. You remember when. You were actually the first guest we have that's in many ways kind of back to work, right? And I'm wondering if you're about to enter a new era, right? Here we are talking about the different eras. Oh, well, right, right. And, and different eras, right, and not temporarily. But- no. For a while. This is going to be a thing we're looking at for a while. It was uh, practice ends, and it's a bunch of reporters scrambling back to their laptops and firing up WebEx, because that's how the interviews are going to come. Yeah. And so you sit there, and you look at a blank screen, or I should say a screen of a chair, and you see Peter Hanlon wearing a mask come and clean that chair, and then the first guest comes, and that's repeated two or three times. No, it's absolutely... uh, and we'll be covering games the same way. Like, I won't be in Edmonton, and I don't know if it makes any difference if I'm in Ed- Edmonton or not. No, well, it wouldn't under the current circumstance, right? It's not like there's going to be post-game scrums or post-game press conferences or anything like that. I'm assuming it'll be, you know, again, you know, digital, right? Right. And, and if, But if you're thinking that the next regular season is... 20 weeks away, less than 20 weeks away. You think the world's going to look much different in 20 weeks? Great question. Don't know the answer. No, no one does. That's the, I was going to say that's the beauty of it, but there's no beauty about it, but that's the reality of it. It, We don't know. So, and I pointed out in the beginning that, you know, you now write for The Athletic and and Eric Dehachek, another guest of, of this podcast, one of the early ones actually, from The Athletic. And it was funny, we talked about it. He had just written a column in The Athletic talking about how the dressing room interview, the dressing room access at the NHL had changed and, and would it ever be the same? That was even prior to, you know, the pause, the pandemic and all of those sort of things. Um, it, it, it's, it's going to be, a, you know, it's funny because you have already declared that you don't opine for the glory days. Do you think you might opine for the glory days of, of dressing room access? Of in-person interviews? Yeah, maybe. Because it's, I don't want to say stressful, but it's it's just kind of different doing the interviews this way. Like like back in the day, if I can say, mm-hmm. uh, I don't hearken for these days, but the fact remains that a game would end, and you know this, you'd go into the Flames room, and there'd be yeah. a dozen guys there in various states of undress, and you'd interview a couple of them if you chose to or wait for another couple if that was what you wanted to do these days pre-pause um you go into a dressing room and it's empty and the team will bring out three or four players who, who all get scrummed by 12 to 20 people yep and then they go back so that's changed 
And but but that's what we live with. That's what we work with. And now, to be honest with you, I, I don't know how it's going to work for games coming up. But I assume it'll be similar in that there'll be three or four victims plus a coach dragged out under the WebEx call. And then maybe if you're the only one that wanted Zach Ronaldo, maybe you can get him on the phone post game as well. I don't know. There, I actually were barely a week away and I don't know. Yeah. And, and I, you know what? I, I was probably one of those guys that when it, if you remember the pre pause kind of, there was that awkward week of, boy, we better put in hand sanitizers, and now what are we going to do? And there was already talk of, geez, there won't be access to players or there won't be access to dressing. I think you actually did cover the team with no access to the dressing room, right? That they were all brought out in the hall. Podium. And there was actually uh, tape on the floor that was as close as we were allowed to get to the players. Right. And that was yeah. just, what, about a week before the pause? Yeah, well, I, we, I remember talking to Johnny Gaudreau March 11th, and the season shut shut down on the twelfth, and it was it was at the podium, and there was a line of tape, and yeah. we towed the line and asked our questions. And I was thinking at that time, boy, you know, uh, they'll never get back in that dressing room and everything. And that that seems like such a feeble thought now, right? Like who who knew it? You know what we were about to in, endure and, and go through. Let me ask you this: I, I want to defend two people's position. I want you to defend the position of feature writer because you're on that post-game scrum with 20 other people. You can't just say, hey, Sean, what, you know, wait everybody out. Hey, what about this or that? There was honor among thieves. I mean, you and I, there was many times where you would be staking out a, a player and I would stick a microphone in and all you'd have to do is look at me and I'd know, oh, sorry, Scott, you're working on something. I'll back out or I won't run that tape or, or whatever. Yeah, you had As, the red stool. I had the, well, that was, no, that was a milking stool. That was completely different. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, we should tell the milking stool story later. Um, no, but as a feature writer, how handicapped are you right now with the current setup? Well, it is um, different for sure. And, and in fact, we don't, Playoffs are a different animal, but generally we don't base a lot of our coverage on game coverage. So if I'm looking to get, you know, some sort of extra interview after game, that that's not going to happen Yeah, at all. Yeah. But during game, if, you know, I'm a couple of seats down from Rich Preston or uh, Rob Cookson was there this winter or just 20 or 30 feet from all the scouts, Sean Burke and all those guys. So you can get work done at games, but it, it's the uh, between games, the off days where kind of that kind of digging is done. Is Do you anticipate that there will be, because there is a, I don't know if people are aware, but there is a professional hockey writers association. Do you, do you anticipate that on some level you might have to step in, they might have to step in and talk to the league about accommodating feature writers? I don't know. Like I said, the if I was doing a story on Giordano's weight training when he was a teenager, probably post game isn't the best time to address that no. necessarily. No, but but I know uh, you mentioned our association. It's uh, 
no one's they're always pushing for more access right that's always the fight more access yeah, more access 100%. and the team is always i don't want to say restricting access but carefully monitoring it um but but it's uh i don't know like if we're talking about going forward i don't know how this is going to look i really don't like since the team's been in camp i've had the flames i should mention have been super accommodating yep and they've done their WebEx calls, but also there's the option to talk to a guy on the phone. Okay. So I've talked to, you know, Lucic and yep. uh, Cam Talbot on the phone. So uh, an awful lot of phoners, but that's... But you're still getting, but you are getting access to one-on-one conversations, right? You're not getting See, access, like I'm yeah. not sitting sweating to eat next to you on WebEx going, oh, well, that's a great question. Why don't I just put that on the radio this afternoon, right? You know, that that's the one thing that I was hoping you would tell me is that, there's still that opportunity for the feature writer to, to get those questions for themselves. Well, yeah, I thought uh, someone else was doing this at my shop was doing this story and it's a really good idea. And that's to find out what the players are bringing into the bubble, like mm-hmm. what to entertain themselves, how much clothes and all that. Sure. But if it's pre-pause and you have that question, you know, at a morning skate or practice, you can sidle up to three or four or five guys get their answers the next day at morning skater practice, sidle up to four or five or more, get their answers. There's not that avenue anymore. So, you know, you're not going to ask um, TJ Brody to phone you after practice so right. you can just ask him what he's packing. Right. Generally, it's something a little more substantial to to carry a, a request like that. But it's, uh, I don't know how many times I can, I can say this, and I think about it constantly, but it's, it's a... a not only a changing world, but a changed world. Yeah, that you know, that's a good point too, right? Like it's so, it's been changed without, you know, without regard to anybody. It's just changed, right? No, it's not going to adapt for us at this point. Yeah. So we we just have to. It's a challenge, right? And and even when there's um, people ask me once in a while, like uh, even pre-pause, what what's the hardest part of the job? And it's coming up with ideas. That is the hardest part. Is coming up with. An idea. Once you have an idea, executing it doesn't feel as hard as the actual coming up with the idea. You wrote a just a really excellent feature piece on Tyler Parsons, Flames goalie prospect, I believe, last fall. Um, how difficult would it be to find that information out and and get to that story under the current circumstances? Yeah, that's. Uh... That's a great question. Um, when, when I talked to him, and it was initially, uh, I'd heard some stories about how he was kind of brought up a little bit on the meet, mean streets of Detroit and um, how he had a, a special relationship with his stepfather, and I happen to be a stepfather, so I found that interesting. Yep. And, and so I ended up talking to him three or four times for that story, and I don't know how that would happen now. And three or four different times, I spoke with him, and all at the rink. Um, so if there's no rink access, that story does not happen. But um, and you know what? I, now that I'm, you've kind of made me kind of rethink about or think about this. But I don't know if it's the kind of thing he would have talked about over the phone. If that makes sense, it turned into no. It, it makes perfect sense, right? Three or four in-person, eye-to-eye conversations. And then, in fact, the first time I asked for him, and again, to talk about his stepdad and the mean streets of Detroit, he, I won't say he blew me off, but 
he had something else to do that day. And so if that's the phoner, then eh, maybe you go on to something else. But I just happened to be at the rink the next day. And he's, I really like him. He's a nice kid. He saw me the next day and said, you want to do this? And so, okay, we, we do do it. But if there's not that interaction, like, I don't know if people know, but right now we're not allowed even on event level. Right. In fact, we're not allowed out of the 225, 226 sections. So that, that in-person, now that you talked about the golden days, that seems like the golden days. Being, seeing right. the players face to face and saying good morning or, or not saying good morning and seeing which players do not say good morning. All that stuff is kind of gone by the wayside. And if someone was going to start covering a team right now, it'd be super difficult. I don't know what kind of rhythm you'd get into and what kind of this kind of routine you'd get into with not actually get we we don't know the players super well. I'm not friends with any of them, but you do on some level know each other and accept each other. And I don't know how that's going to happen going forward to be honest with you. Yeah, and and I would and I really want to stress this. This is not a Calgary Flames issue. This is not an NHL issue. This is it's it's we're forced into the reality of it, right? It's a safety issue. It's not that the teams are, and and especially an article like that. I think it, you know, I think the teams would be supportive of those kind of articles. Those are the stories that you would like told of your players. But the reality is, the safety protocol takes that away. And so I said I wanted to defend the feature writer. I also want to defend the fan because I think that's the kind of stuff that benefits the fan. That's the kind of stuff that puts a human face on a player that that attaches you to that. Then you're pulling for that player. Stats and, 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 you know, analytics and all of that do one thing, but you, there's still a role for putting a, a, you know, telling a story, right? Yeah, and, and that's, uh, well, as, as you completely outlined right here, that's, that's going to be harder now. And that's, uh, you know, like I think sometimes people are under the impression we're down there and we're friends with these guys and having coffee. It's at least for me, that's not quite the case. <laughs> quite? But, <laughs> but um, but definitely there's a relationship and definitely if you're down there, you can see someone's having a bad day. Someone's having a good day. Someone storms off the ice. Someone goes onto the ice whistling. You, you see these things and they're all, they inform everything you write, what you see down there. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now I don't see, and I'm not complaining. Trust me, I'm not complaining. But now when we go, we see kind of uh, each other. I mean, each other, the other media people. Yeah, no, I would complain and, about that. That's fair. Yeah, and and uh, you know and and Webex calls with the players. Yeah. No, it, it, it I, the one thing I've learned is it, it's way too early to say, "Poof, this is the way it's going to be," right? It's the way it is right now, and and that's what you're adapting to. But but I would say, I mean, there was changes after the lockout. We're in access changes. There was attitude changes, right? You know, there there's been changes throughout the game the, the, the game's had an ebb and a flow in the last two or three decades that you know sometimes and it and depends on the players too like you and i have come across some really cool players that have lots of time and great stories and we've also come across some real you know not so nice guys who have nothing to say and don't need to be talked about right yeah but, but that's that's just That's human, human nature. If you, sure. if you had 25 librarians or 25, you know, mechanics, you're going to get the people that aren't so great, the people that are super great. So. Yeah, yeah. 
No, it's it's. I'm just curious where it goes. I'm 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 kind of curious how it's been. You know, and again, reflective of the fact that there hasn't been a single game played for real yet, and that'll add another layer to this, right? Well, when I um, first started on the beat, like so, two thousand. Yeah. Uh, we traveled with the team in the bus, in the in the dressing room, in the bus, and then into the plane. So that kind of proximity is long gone. It had already been long gone, except for the dressing room access. And now that, I don't know, I hear people talk about, you know, when this is over, dot, dot, dot. But I don't know if there's any, this is over to this. Not to get you, don't, you don't, eh? You don't think, like, I'm of the opinion that we get a vaccine, and I'm of the opinion that, you know, life slowly gets back to normal. And I guess that's why I wanted to defend the feature writer and I wanted to defend the the, the, the fan. I, I still think there's value in it, right? I still think, and, and I, I still think there's teams that feel there's a value in it. It just may be a while before we get back. To, we may never get back to dressing room access, but maybe post-game, you know, hallway access. Yeah, it's going to look different. Sure, and and maybe we don't ever see the inside of another dressing room. Yeah, I don't know. Like, can you can you remember uh, flying commercially before nine eleven? I can, and it doesn't look like that anymore. There's nope. these things that change, nope. and they change. Yeah. That's that's yeah, yeah. But you know, you still need the coverage, right? You know, the I guess the argument has always been European soccer or football. Like it's it's a different animal, or the Olympics, the mix zones, and things like that. You know, it'll always evolve. But the one thing about journalists is you guys tend to adapt to it, too. Yeah, and we have to. And, and um, you know, since the pause hit, uh, and so not just the last couple of weeks, but the last four months, of course, I've done exclusively phone interviews. And that's, I won't say I've gotten used to it, but that that's, that's the way you do your business now, yeah. right? Yep. So you talk on the phone and maybe you see someone if it's a WebEx or whatever, but mm-hmm. otherwise talk on the phone. The athletic is a is a, a group is is very much driven by analytics and very much driven by f- feedback and subscribers and and the fan. It's a very you know connected media. What ha- what were those months like, Scott? When what were you hearing from fans or what trends did you see from fans in terms of the consumption of of hockey news or sports news? And I don't know if they broke it down by city or country or just North America, but was there anything that kind of struck you about the consumption of, of sports news in the last four months? Um, well, I wasn't, I'm not privy to all those numbers or even many of those numbers, <laughs> but I, I can definitely say um, there's a, there's a beast that we have to feed whether there's games or not. And that, that from the top of our yeah. chain that was made very clear. And so I can't really comment on the appetite of sports fans and, and if it waned during the pause or if they saw, we did a lot of stories with alumni and mm-hmm. they, where are they now catching up with, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that obviously fills or is a little into the void, but it doesn't fill the void. Like without games, it kind of loses its direction and its yeah. purpose. Yeah. I think the broadcasters found that out too. I think, Old games were cute and fun and interesting for the first month, but I don't think they drove traffic. You know, people want, they don't want to know the score. They want it to happen in real time. And, and they want the controversies that come with sport, right? That's what we missed. I mean, that was, I don't know about you, but that was the, you know, God bless the NFL. Because thank God Tom Brady was doing something. 
because there's only so many return to play protocols and things like that. At least, you know, there were some controversies or storylines and things like that. That's maybe the one thing that I came away from all of this is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, storytelling's good and history's good and all of that, but nothing beats a, you know, a close close play at the plate, as they say. Yeah, I, I thought, I always think it's a good idea, and I've had this idea during lockouts as well, that if, that if the sports networks would, would queue up a random game from 1983 or a random game from 1992, uh, so and you didn't know the score, it would actually make it more interesting. Like if it was a random Flyers game versus, you know, the sure. Colorado Rockies, yep. let's say. Yep. Who knows what's going to happen? Don Cherry's coaching, Landon McDonald's playing. What Kind of interesting. But the, they're kind of queuing up the games. You kind of know where it's going to go. Yeah. So it's – Yeah. I, I, will, I will say watching um, game seven of 04, uh, not the final for the Flames, but the, the Vancouver Canucks. Yep. Yeah, I found that remarkable. For whatever that that game really, I was at that game, but watching it again, however many years later, sixteen years later, I was really struck by it. So struck by I what though? What 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 caught? I mean, what? Well, I, I guess in my head, I had the flames, kind of clinging, um, not physically on the ice, which they, they did a little bit of that, but kind of clearing to the clinging to the the caliber of play, and that they were just against this giant from Vancouver. And all they could do was hope to, you know, be close and then maybe fluke it out. And, and watching that game, boy, they were yeah. every bit the equal plus against that. They were the better team. Yeah. Far be it from me to say a jaded, cynical sports writer. I, I was actually kind of impressed by that team upon reflection. Actually were impressed. It's funny you bring that game up because th- there was a couple. That was one for me because all I seem to remember is the overtime. I'm sorry. I re- what I seem to remember is the last 60 seconds in the overtime. That's what I seem to remember. And in, in, in clock time, that's like two and a half minutes, right? Yeah, right. there was a there was an intermission, but like, you know, the, the hoodie coming out on the ice and the stick on the ice and Matt Cook and Jovanoski in the in the penalty box and then you know, I just you were there. I was at Shank South and like it was the human equivalent of putting a pin in a balloon. Like all the air came out of that room, right? Like there's that that was the one thing that you, you, you know watching that game knowing the result you're kind of going like this, this should be death like you should not come back from this that that should have been Vancouver's swan song story to the cup final right like they came back right. against plucky calgary they found a way to win it in overtime and they vanquished all their foes that that was yeah. that was the story it's supposed to be well, could have been I remember, so we're, we're in the press box during the intermission of overtime, and there's, you don't believe, four or five Herald writers alone, <laughs> and we're all kind of talking, we're all kind of talking like, wow, can, can you believe it? The Flames actually took the Canucks to seven games. That's remarkable. Yeah. I the seven years, yeah. They pushed these guys to overtime in the seventh game. Yeah. Bravo. Yeah. And we're starting to kind of toe the dirt over the grave there a little bit. And they hadn't even played the overtime, but we thought, you know, what a great story. They've done so well. But little do we know they were going to play 19 more games. <laughs> That's possible. I think it is. Some, so, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and then they come out and you hear stories about what went on in that room in the intermission. And it's somehow they got into that room, kind of bitched a bit for a while. Conroy, again, like we're missing the empty net. And then 
I talked to them all and they all, I think Jerome had a little speech. They all calmed down and came out against all odds with confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they ended it right off the bat and that yep. was it. No, I it's, couldn't believe it. It's funny. You, it's funny you mentioned that game because, you know, as, I, as here I am down playing all the old games, but I remember watching that one the exact same way. He's like, oh, drums really good. Whoa. You know, like the team was good. Like they deserved to be ahead in that game, right? They were, as far yeah. as Daryl Sutter's teams go, they were nursing the one goal lead late in the game like he wanted them to do. They they yeah. were doing it to a T, right? And then yeah. they and then they recovered from really, if you look at you know, history, there's not a lot of teams that would recover from that or have, right? That's the thing of sports lore. Just assume they wouldn't, to be honest with you. Yeah. And like I'm like you, I remember, um, you know, Jovanovski's penalty and the jersey on the ice again, the missing the net again, the falling over his own stick, hook scoring, and and you think that's it. So to watch that game yeah. from the start the other night, and again, this this is a no brainer, and I feel kind of embarrassed. I'm mentioning this. I couldn't believe how hard they played, mm-hmm. and I mean both sides, but you kind of have eyes for the Flames because for obvious reasons, you couldn't believe how hard they played. Like, they played so hard. And then, you know, I, I didn't see any of the games. Uh, I watched a bit of the Tampa game later, which was kind of slower version of that one. There was nothing left. There was just no. nothing left. No. And it was, I remember Tony Lidman came back and he'd missed kind of the two series in the yeah. middle. Yeah. It was concussed and he came back uh, for the just the last couple games against Tampa and he looked like Bobby Orr. Yeah. He was a guy that wasn't bruised like a banana and he could actually still skate around a bit. So people it's funny, then, every uh, everybody talks about the, the Marty Jelena non goal in game six. But right. just as important was Nikolai Habibulin with four seconds left in game seven. Because Tony Ludman looked like he had him beat for the tying goal. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and and there's uh of course Leopold's shot, which Or sorry, is it Leopold or was it Lidman that because I know Habby Bullen made the save with about four seconds left. I thought it was more like four minutes left. No, 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 no. I remember there was one right at yeah. the end of the game. They're throwing everything, and right at the right, end of right. the game, there's a little blocker save that Habby Bullen made. You know, but right. but you're right. I mean, they had done nothing for two periods, and then through the kitchen sink at you know at Tampa, as, as you would in the in the. Geez, it seems like yesterday, but in many ways, it's like a million years ago, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like a long time ago. Right. And, and it's amazing, the the cult of hockey, or however you want to describe it, if you talk to Mike Commodore, and everyone's talking about Mike Commodore, and he brings this up about what a great flame he was on and on. He only played 20-some games for the Flames. 18, regular, 18 regular season. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's... It, it's no, that, but it's the perception. Just, it's the perception, that, right? Like it's such a stage. And he's a big personality. Let's not get that wrong. Oh, but no. it's such a stage, and... He took it. Oh, he did. Like, I do a lot of alumni events, and, and that's Mike and I's little thing is we, we come in and we go, ladies and gentlemen, you know, here's here's Mike Commodore. Um, just a little Mike Commodore trivia. Uh, anybody in here want to guess how many, you know, Mike, I can't remember what he played NHL-wise. I think it was, uh, here, I'll look at it. But, uh, you know, he played, um, ah, where did he go here? 
You played over. You played nearly 500 games. How many of those in regular season games? How many of those were the Calgary Flames? Oh, hands go up, right? And it's always the same thing. Oh, he played 150. He played 250. Played nearly 300 games. And he yeah. and he giggles like it's no. He played 18 regular season games yeah. over the span of two seasons, right? Yeah. Six and 12. But we saw a bit of that too about that team when Jerome had his number retired because. Anything to do with 2004, there was a standing ovation that wouldn't quit, right? Like, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it was amplified. Still is. Totally. You're right. Right? right? Absolutely. And it was, yeah. uh, you know, it was my first season in Calgary on the beat, and obviously they don't all happen like that. But even that season, like, the playoff run was something, but that regular season had its kind of cool stories especially in the second half of 2004 when you know little known Mika Kiprasov got hurt Roman Turk gets the net back is it Roman is it Mika you know and then the big trade like well they got Chris Simon why do you need Chris Simon like there's a yeah. there's a book I'm sure there has been but there's a good book in that series season right yeah and there's like you mentioned the and the acquisition of Kiprasov we could go on and on we could have a whole podcast about that that changed everything. Daryl changed things. Kiprasov changed things. And that's and there they were, like in a matter of months after both of those things happening. Daryl showed up the December before. Yep. Kiprasov showed up in November of that season to the final, Game 7 of the final. It was remarkable. And you're right. It's uh, I don't know if anyone has written that book, but it's it's uh, it, it's crazy. Like I know we used to always tease George Johnson because yep. he'd be on the beat and we'd be you know killing time or whatever, and he'd non-stop he'd always talk about 1989 oh the team and then what happened and the players on that team and we'd laugh at him Jean Lefebvre and I would cackle at him because yeah. he couldn't get his head out of 1989 and here I am not I can't stop talking about 2004 I'm always talking about it. yeah so it's kind of interesting the it's kind of interesting as as an observer like I obviously had nothing to do with their fate but as, as an observer it's remarkable the impact that has on you but it does have but it does we do have a role to play in that, Scott. We weren't part of the team, granted. But Jim Playfair talked about this. is the first guy that really ever made sense to me because he won a Calder Trophy in the American Hockey League with St. John's. And he talked about doing a speaking engagement. And the entire speaking engagement was, you know, a half hour. He talked for like 30 seconds about winning the championship. It was all of the little road signs along the way it was all it was the journey and and that's always seemed like such a cliche to me oh it's about the journey it's about the journey it's about the journey that season it was about the journey it really was about the journey so many little things like Detroit Dave Lowry coming back Dave Lowry's assistant hell we we hardly talk about it but freaking the Daryl Sutter caused the NHL to put a new rule in when he jumped the uh, Nashville Predators right you know I mean there was just so many little things along the way and you consider it's 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 Daryl's first full season, and Drome's having a great season, and Kiprasov shows up, and Regeer's there, Leopold. Oh, here come the Flames! When did they clinch a playoff spot? Game eighty. Yes, against who? Nothing win against yeah, yeah against Phoenix. the Arizona Coyotes, right? Yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. and so or Phoenix. And, and of course, the goal, the goal again, love the shadow Kiprasov. Like it, it just yeah. had all, and that's. As the season's going on, and they're not in the playoffs for sure, the, the cast of characters that showed oh. up, from Marcus Nielsen to Billy Niemann, and then um, 
like the day Chris Simon showed up, I think we were in Denver and yep. we're waiting for this guy, waiting for this guy. I think we're at the uh, the Westin, and and so up the escalator, it looked like a movie. Up up the escalator comes this gigantic man wearing a black tie on a black shirt and a black suit with wraparound sunglasses. We, I don't. We were all terrified to even talk to him. Oh, sure. But of course, of course, if you do talk to him, he's a lovely guy. He, oh, he's a great I, guy. He was, and and yeah. he was what they needed at the right time. And none of us, you know, we would have. Oh, who should the Flames get at the trade deadline? Not a single one of us ever said, "Oh, they should get Chris Simon from, I believe, the Rangers." At that point, right? But yeah. he was exactly. And that game, what did he do? Face off right at the beginning of the game. He's on Jerome's wing, and he just stands up and he tells everybody that'll listen in Colorado. If you got anything to you got anything to say to Jerome, you got to go through me, and that was it. It changed right there, right? Yeah, because yeah. Jerome and, didn't and, have to that, fight all. I mean, Oliwa was there, but you know, different different type of player. Right, and and, and people talk about uh, Daryl as a great coach, and he was a great coach for sure. I'll admit it. I didn't get <laughs> along with him that well personally, but I can stand sure. back and admit the impact he had. And while he was a coach. He was a great GM as well. When he wasn't a coach and was only a GM, not so hot. But when he was both, he knew what he was doing. And he knew he what he, but he knew attraction. what he wanted, right? Absolutely, he knew what that room needed, and yep. God knows how someone would decide that Billy Neiman is what your room needed. But he got him, and he contributed. That crazy Finn contributed. So, so did so did Marcus Nielsen, right? Absolutely. So, so did Marcus yeah. Nielsen. You know, and yeah. you know, there's a season we told all these. That's also the season that Jerome got the captaincy. Right? Like, that's also the year they made Jerome captain. That's right? true. Right? You remember yeah, that? Okay. Conroy to... Right. Conroy, yeah, probably had to be twisted a little bit to do it, but he did it, right? And, yeah. you know, you think about it, they lost Steve Reimprecht, right? They lost Denny Goche. Did they lose McCammon? Yeah. Right? Like, they had these significant injuries. They, You know, they lost, well... McLennan was injured, but he kept playing, and then they traded him, right? And Lombardi, Lombardi got KO'd against Detroit. And That's right. So, well, and how about Sean Donovan? Because he had, what, a nine-game goal-scoring streak or whatever that was, right in the middle of the season? Yeah. Like, it's crazy. But, it's crazy. But it it was quite a – and again, I'm, we're probably going on and on too much about this team that maybe a lot of people don't even know, but uh, it, it was kind of a remarkable group, and I know – kind of hokey to say but it was quite a cast of characters oh yeah oh absolutely but again it, it is and it isn't it, it's part of the history and to me it also it strikes a tone in modern professional sports not to get too academic about it but it strikes a tone in modern professional sports about exactly how hard it is to win and in this case that team didn't even win that that team nearly won should have won got right to the end and didn't win, but came out of nowhere to do it. And I think gets extra bonus special points for that. I'm not saying they're more popular than 89 or, or a better team than the 89 team. I'm not saying that at all. That's all. That's the Stanley Cup team. That is the Stanley Cup team. But, boy, they butt up against it for as close any team could without ever winning a cha- without winning the championship. And I just think it speaks to how many teams there are and how hard it is to win now. Yeah, and also the, the charm of an underdog. It's yes, yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Right? Because they could have been the President's Trophy winners and, and losing seven games to Tampa Bay, and they they wouldn't be as beloved as they are. Right. Right? And it almost, it almost seems like them 
not winning hasn't really tarnished the you know the legacy of that team. No. Again, I go back to Aginla's retirement. You know, that anybody involved with that one guy got announced who played 18 regular season games and got a standing ovation for, what, a couple yeah. minutes? Right? Yeah. You know, did, 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 was a team ever defined by one play, one play in the playoffs, more than Dave Lowry coming out of nowhere to return to the lineup after we thought he was coaching? He was on the bench coaching, and he came back. And he got, remember, he got cross-checked in front of the Flames. He was down on his knees, and one of the, right. yeah, and one of the Red Wings was so frustrated, and they were just cross-checking him in the back, right? McCarty. Yeah, McCarty, right? That, that to yeah. me, that exemplified that season right. as a whole. Comes out of nowhere, and they pissed off everybody, right? It's funny when often, I don't know, there's a million things you can talk about, Brennan Evans coming out of oh yeah well okay and then there's that one yeah and the and the Montador Commodore and Montador is you know Beaver slapped again oh the Beaver tail in San Jose yeah but the the interesting not interesting well it is interesting that team the team on the rise they're all pretty young and then what are they going to do for non core and they they didn't get a chance because of the lockout yeah yeah and and always and that you know and, and of course that lockout cost. A lot of players, one year of their prime, but when you're talking about Kiprasov and again the one year of their primes, that that's a that's a pretty deep. Well, I th- and, and I would go on and I would go on to say that then you complicate that with two years of Keenan that that sacrificed, you know, really, you know, really good years of Regeer and and Aginla and Kiprasov too. Like it's again it goes back to why do they why did they love that team so much? It was one in a million. It was a comet. It was only going to come around so often, and it shouldn't have. There's no, there's nothing. You took San Jose's third string goalie. That's what you took. You took San Jose's third string goalie, right? Yeah. And and you yeah. did that. And yeah, it 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 was fun. It was it was fun, but it was always with the looming on the horizon, the dark cloud, eh? Like yeah, you know, yeah. and then. When they did come back, they won the division. So you think this thing, yeah, Setter still got it in a bottle, but wasn't you know, the same. Were, was not the same. No, it wasn't the same. It was, it was, it was, it was really cool. Um, by the way, I should remind everybody: tired of searching dozens of websites for local sports events? Visit SportCalgary.ca and find hundreds of local events, everything from community gatherings to summer camps to tournaments. Um, if I remember correctly, you are a Manitoba lad. Correct. Uh, athlete growing up, nothing but sports growing up. You know, what was it? Uh, actually spent uh, grades one through six here in Calgary and then seven through 12 uh, in, in Verdon, Manitoba, okay. small town. Okay. Athletically mediocre at best. Yep. And, you know, golfed a little, played a little ball and hockey. I was, you know, played through midget, but was not very good at all. Right, right. Were you a big sports fan? Was that your your thing? Were you, you know, back huge. then? It, oh, you huge. Okay, so Tuesday yeah. Tuesday stats pages in the newspaper and, you know, the Absolutely. Hockey News and the Hockey Digest sort of thing? Yeah, and, and of course, you look at those, the Hockey Digest, when you'd get that, those stories must have been, <laughs> honestly, two months old. Yeah, oh, for <laughs> sure. For sure. That was, you know, it was, uh, you'd read the Hockey News and you'd see some of these towns in the East Coast League and it seemed exotic. Forget. I want to go to Hampton Roads. 
I want to yeah. know where's Hampton Roads, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a, you mentioned, you know, the, the hockey news in going those bus trips with the junior teams. Yeah, and there'd be an, an actual copy, hard copy of the hockey news, and they would divide it by pages, and it, you know, however many pages. There's twenty or thirty pages of that hockey news. Each one went to each bench, and yep. those guys would pour through that thing yep. nonstop. Yep. And somebody would know somebody, right? Somebody would yell out, hey, you know, maybe a former teammate or something like that was playing minor pro when he showed up or something like that. Like, You're right. And then by the end of the road trip, you just couldn't rec- you couldn't read it anymore. It had been poured right. over so many times, right? Yeah. But uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's a, as a young guy. Uh, but it's, it's interesting back in that day, and I'm dating myself a bit here, but uh, – I can only remember we only had two channels mm-hmm. and we did one game a week and it was on a Saturday and often we were playing Saturdays. So I can't say I saw a ton of, ton of games. Okay. Just, just yeah. hockey or were you, because in Manitoba you would have been a little closer to that Minnesota, North Dakota influence was, you know, major league baseball, NFL, any of that on your radar, CFL, any of that on your radar as a kid? Uh, love the blue bombers. Did you love the expo? Okay, but uh, I explained this to someone the other day too. You're, so you're in this small town in southwestern Manitoba, and it's the '70s. The, the team that was well, they were, they were great, but the team that everyone kind of followed was the Wee Kings. Yep, and they were super. And, and the best player on our team wore number ten, and because that's the number Billy Durlego wore. Right, right. Like those were, and then, and then a little further down, Brandon was about forty-five minutes away, so, and a couple hours past that was Winnipeg. And so we knew more about the World Hockey Association than the NHL. Yeah, yep. So it was a little different, but every bit is is cool, right? It's whatever's close. Was was senior was senior hockey and senior ball still a big deal when you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and they and especially for, for the baseball, they'd bring in imports from the states, and you know, they, I believe there was a, a guy or two drafted out of that. Yeah, I think the Nipawa farmers might have had a guy drafted. <laughs> But people, people who didn't grow up in that, if you, you know, if you don't grow up in those rural areas, I don't think you fully appreciate. Like when I moved to Estevan, I didn't understand the importance of ball, senior ball, or senior hockey. I knew senior hockey because there was an Allen Cup that teams played for. I didn't know that people went, you know, all winter long, and you know, it was a big deal. It was the culture of that community, right? Yeah, and uh, the they were the uh, the Oil Kings in Verdon. That was the senior yeah. team. They yep. play. Eight o'clock on Saturdays, and that's what you. Or they also played Sundays, actually Sunday afternoons. But that was, you know, the big game. And there were sure. some of those guys that had played junior, quite a few of them, and that, a couple guys had played pro. So yeah, you know, that was our thing. But it's it's interesting. The it's all about your vantage point. Like when I worked in Medicine Hat, you you know, you're, you're working and you're talking to people, and no one's talking about the flames or the Oilers. And these are teams in your province. Everyone was talking about, you know, how, how do you get, how are these guys going to beat the swift current Broncos? Yep. What the hell's wrong with the Moose Jaw Warriors? It's, it's all, how come our goaltending is so bad? Like it's, and, and referring to the Tigers, not anything else. It's, yep. it's, and that's kind of cool. And you're, you're almost insulated from everything that isn't junior hockey. No, no, that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect yeah. sense. Which you know what I, I liked. It was really cool. Sure, but but I've got massive gaps in my NHL knowledge from about uh, you know 1990 to nearly 2000 because I was in junior hockey towns and that was 
you know, that was your preoccupation. You'd see NHLers, you know, again, yep. Lel Regeer or uh, Rocky Thompson. Yep. And, uh, but that was kind of your world. And then they kind of left that world, but you didn't. So you kept covering the next wave of prospects that would come in. But yep. I, I liked it. I found it super enjoyable. And then some levels, and maybe this goes back to the giant media scrums and this and that, I do kind of miss covering sports in the small cities. Oh, I, I yeah, I actually, I think it was Peter Labardi's other guest on this podcast and I were talking about it. And of course he's so well known and, you know, for his love of junior hockey and his work in the Western Hockey League. But, you know, we're both former voices of the Esteban Bruins and um, we were both fortunate enough to, and he still is, cover the NHL. Um, and I'm never going to deride that. That was the greatest gift I've ever been given. But those days riding the you know, riding the bus to Flin Flon or Weyburn or whatever. There's some things that you smile about and you remember. And, you know, there were simpler times and it was pure. It was passionate. It was, you know, you say what you will about the Battle of Alberta, but when Weyburn and Esteban would meet in the playoffs, you know, it was on, right? Like it, it meant everything right. to those towns, right? And there's something yeah. about that. The, the, the sports is better when people care. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, I remember... Uh, when I was working at the Edmonton Journal, and one year the AJHL often changes its playoff kind of format, but the one year it ended up being uh, Fort Saskatchewan against St. Albert in the final. Yeah. And St. Albert had Jamie Lundmark and uh, Comrie. Right. And they were filling those rinks, and I'm guessing either the Oilers didn't make the playoffs or had been knocked out or whatever, but it was fantastic. Yep. Absolutely. We watched the games, uh, go to cover the games in Fort Saskatchewan, and there was literally not a seat for us. So we'd have to sit in a room that overlooked the rink. <laughs> and Eric Spector and I shared a window. Yeah. Which was not open, was closed. No, so, it, it, so you had no way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it might have been at two, I doubt it was as big as two feet by two feet. And anyways, that, that's how we watched the game. And, and there's <laughs> something, and I don't want to sound too hokey and no, no, the no. gold. Yeah. or whatever but that was so cool and for sure. maybe the 20,000 people let's say that were really into that series they were into that series absolutely 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 so did you did you go to school did you go to journalism school yeah at Mount Royal at Mount Royal when yeah. you started were you going to be a sports writer was it always was sports writing always the the end goal yeah okay 100% okay 100% yeah and, and Probably non-sports stories might have totaled half a dozen, possibly 10. But other than that, it was all sports, which in hindsight wasn't a great way to do things. Um, someone like Vicki Hall, for instance, yep. you know, yep. excellent sports writer herself, yep. but she's got a news background, so she can cover court. Yep. She can cover the cop desk. She can cover whatever hard news. And that's, uh, I should have had a little broader horizon, I guess is what I'm saying. It would have been handy. Like the when the Flames, uh, sort of when City Hall voted on the rink yeah. uh, last summer, I, I guess, um, I covered it, and that was the first time I'd ever covered a city council meeting, which, okay. which is ridiculous. Donna yeah. Spencer was there. She's a pro. She'd done it tons of times. Yep. So those are, those are the pros. Donna Spencer, Vicki Hall, those people that can yep. you know, broaden horizons. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with that advice for young kids you know i what bothers me are are these kids now these kids you kids but it bothers me when you know a young person comes out of 
education and goes, well, you know, the smallest market I'm ever going to work in is Calgary. You know, I was the voice of the S-Band Bruins, but I covered Catholic school board meetings. You know, I remember the first thing I ever did in Esteban when I got hired to be the voice of the Bruins was I had to go to court to cover the guy that was uh, selling wheat, wasn't selling wheat to the Canadian Wheat Board. He was driving into North Dakota, and that was a big story. So I had to go to court and cover that. And I didn't like it, but I'll tell you, it all ma- it makes you better. It makes you ask better questions, and it opens your eyes to things. Like it's yeah, absolutely, it, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I covered the formation of the Saskatchewan Party. Like I went to these little towns and these little church halls as these guys were putting together a political party. And I'm like, why am I here? I want to be in the NHL. Went on to be a very significant political force, and I'm better for it. Right? Like um, yeah. having having said that. You do cover the Calgary Flames, but put it in perspective. How many different teams, towns did you work in before you landed up back in Calgary? Uh, Fort McMurray. Yep. Medicine Hat, Medicine Hat twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to let you know how old I am, I covered the, the Tigers uh, the year of Trevor Linden's draft. <laughs> okay. Sure. So, uh, Fort McMurray, uh, Medicine Hat twice, Kamloops, Edmonton, and then to here. Okay. Okay. So a, a bit of a Western Canadian circuit, but, uh, but I don't regret, uh, a day of it I spent elsewhere. Tell me, a, like I said, I was going to miss some of them. Well, okay. So give me a Thickwood Heights Arena story in Fort McMurray. Give me a, <laughs> g- give me a Fort, covering a Fort McMurray Oil Barons game. Well, I think we uh, there's lots there. Oh, there's there is there. so much. Um, at one point, this, this gigantic guy dressed dressed head to toe in buckskin, mm-hmm. um, like you maybe anticipate him looking, was really mad at the refs, and he picked up a gigantic garbage can, which I couldn't have lifted with a forklift, and chucked it into the middle of the rink, and then left. <laughs> Another time in, in the warm up, there was a, a fight, and it was two Hobima Hawks fighting each other. In the corner, <laughs> and I've seen um, <coughs> you know coaches fight under the stands. Sure. In fact, that led to a, a massive battle with us in the Oil Barons. But um, there was, well, you saw lots of games there. It was, and, and what did they did they play it? Because they had to work they start pr- times around the. So the if shifts. I remember, I want to say it was eight thirty Saturday night, and then like. Two o'clock or something in the afternoon. Like it was always a, it was a late. It was right because I think it was eight o'clock. The shift changed, so they didn't drop the puck till eight thirty, and then it was an afternoon Sunday game, and that was you know you'd have these teams from Calgary drive seven and a half hours up there, play in front of a juiced up crowd on a Saturday night, and then there'd be more of a family crowd on the Sunday afternoon, and they they knew they had to get back on that bus and drive all the way back. Right, like it was torture for some of those teams. Yeah, I, I thought maybe even it might have been even nine p.m. You, you know what? You you, I do like, know. I know yeah. you're right about the shift change. Like they they yeah. they took into consideration the change at the, the two plants, and that was part of the other part that I'll never forget was, I mean, I grew up in Edmonton and and it was cold in Edmonton, but Fort McMurray in the middle of winter cold is on a whole other planet, and. Like it was minus thirty seven or something one night, and I'm going. Well, there's no, not going to be anybody at the hockey game. We were we couldn't get parked, right? Like just couldn't get yeah. parked. You know, every it, truck run, but, every, yeah. yeah, no, but everybody came. Didn't they? Didn't care. It's well, just weather. 
you'd go through one of those snaps like that and it would uh, warm up to minus 20. And I'm using boat fingers around yeah. the yeah. warm up. And uh, you'd go, you know, to the mall or around town and, and minus 20, that's jean jacket weather. <laughs> people, and pe- people are listening to this right now going, oh, you guys are exaggerating. We are not. We are not no, exaggerating. It is, no. it is, again, I'm... I, I lived there for four years. How long do you live there for? Three, three winters. Three winters. Yeah, I, yeah. You count your time in winters. You do, because um, when it's coffee to coffee. What's coffee to coffee? Sun, coffee to coffee. Sun comes up, morning coffee goes down, in afternoon coffee. But I don't have coffee till ten o'clock. Exactly. Like, it, like I don't know if people. And the other thing that drove me nuts: one road. There's one road. Like, yeah, you can go up to the plants, but. You're not going up much further than that. You're not going east, and you're not going west. There's one road, south, right? Yeah. But yeah. talk about a community. Like, there's some really cool people there, neat people, neat things that were there. There was a resiliency. You know, I haven't been there in a long time, but I I, I wouldn't trade those four years for nothing. Yeah, and, and there was... Um... Like like I mentioned, we had our battles with the oil barons sure. for a variety of reasons, but there was so much else to cover. And I yep. mean, there was a, this will seem bizarre, but a kind of a triathlon scene there. And there was uh, um, Phil Mar. A box. <laughs> Phil Mar. <laughs> huh? And there was so a, we're laughing a about box. Phil Mar. So, okay, so Phil Mar was, was, a, tri- was a triathlete, correct? Yeah, and he was a marathoner and a long distance country skier right and he was a city councillor and i played on his hockey team and i was his goon so let that all sink in for a minute that somebody actually entrusted me to protect them because they (laughs) shot their mouth i I, i've never seen a guy in in adult and you know beer league hockey get jumped more than him because he couldn't he was so good he was just so good and he lighted, yeah. and then, but he, he just the mouth never stopped. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I hate to besmirch the good memory, but he he was a politician. He did it all. He was a local celebrity, right? Yeah, and there was much like uh, our friend Phillips. Yeah, C.J. Phillips. Yeah, yeah. And there was, um, you know, the Canadian tour at that time uh, made a stop at the golf course, and there was. I know people don't think there would have been a ton of sports. But you'd, you'd only think that if you'd never been there. Slow pitch got there, covered in the summer, right? Yeah, and they had a, a junior B hockey team, the, the Legionnaires. Yep. And at, at one point, uh, when we were battling the uh, the oil barons, uh, they threatened to pull our press passes. And my boss was Rob Tichkowski, and who <laughs> covered the Oilers. Yeah. And Edmonton Oilers. And so they threatened to pull our, our press passes, and I was kind of worried. And Rob said, get in the car. We got in the car and we took our passes back and threw them in the door. <laughs> so, and so then, when, when we eventually returned to cover the team, we bought tickets to cover. But that was a month or two, and in a month or two where we didn't cover them, we covered the Legionnaires like they were the <laughs> Western Hockey League kingpins, and it was uh, uh, no blowback, <laughs> which is super odd. But but the, if you think about it, the Legionnaires, were uh, local local boys. We were talking, Every single one of them. Yeah. And on the uh, oil barons, just the backup goalie, and might have been a token placing, uh, was local. The yeah. rest were all you know, from Edmonton, Calgary, yep. Big, whatever. Yep. But anyways, it was, 
my point is, I guess, is you don't cover the biggest thing in town, uh, like we didn't, but there were still tons to cover. Right. Tons. And it's, uh, it's, uh, I worked in Medicine Hat as well in Kamloops, but Fort McMurray, that is a, a rich community at that time, or a pretty well off, but also a super young community. Yes. Uh, compared, compared to the other two. So there was, like I said, tons of sport. You had to choose what sports you covered. It wasn't like you were ever scrambling. No, 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 no. And I, you're, you're absolutely right. Which, when you come to Calgary, did you come to Calgary specifically to write hockey or did you come to Calgary to write sports? Uh, in 2000? Yeah. Yeah, uh, to cover, I was told hockey, so I didn't know if it would be Hitman and Flames or. Gotcha. Or the other, a bit of both, and it ended up being uh, mostly flames. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and did what was when you got because you hear you'd moved Medicine Hat, Kamloops, you're up in Fort McMurray. You've been around. Were you arriving in Calgary, or was Calgary the next stop? Did you think on your journey? Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I I didn't know how long I was going to last at the at the journal. They were going through some staff changes. So uh, essentially it was, it was just kind of the next job. And when I was in Kamloops, it looked kind of felt like the paper might be closing. It is closed now. The paper's not with it, but it looked like it might. So that's why uh, I went to Edmonton. So it was, it was never making these moves thinking, uh, you know, upward and onward and to right. greater things. It was just to stay employed. Right. As, as basic as that sounds. What was, Calgary like in 2000 what was the vibe like what was the scene like I mean you know it's crazy to me because it sounds like geez what was it like back in 2000 that seems dumb to me because 2000 seems like that's 20 years ago Scott like yeah. it's two well, decades fact, ago, right the um you mentioned Dave Lowry the, the night of his 1000th game right I don't know if you this night uh the flames and the ducks set a Yes. Yes. For there must for penalty minutes in the in the third period there must have been three or four consecutive line brawls. Anyways, on and on. It, the Ducks won, but it was well three or four or five. It go, uh, both goalies got run. It was all sorts of stuff, and it wasn't televised. <laughs> that game was not, and it wasn't. It wasn't the only. And I, I think when the. After the 2002 Olympics, and so it's Jerome's massive year, yep. right? He's having, he, he's starring, he's lighting up the league, he stars at the Olympics, comes back, and I think they played St. Louis, I want to say. Anyways, his first game back, uh, St. Louis, it's not on TV, and only that, it's not a sellout. <laughs> so things have changed. And, and of course, the, the team itself, was struggling yes sure badly and so like they say everyone loves a winner and this team was nowhere near being a winner although how many months later 24 months later they're in the stanley cup final yeah you you don't know but um when did you start covering football then when because you know back in those days season ended they needed you to do other things right you got exposed to other sports yeah i did uh quite a bit of stamps which was really cool but i guess it's the, the coolest thing that ever happened was the the end of maybe the 01 season. It's uh, March or April, and I get a phone call from Downsy, John Down, and he goes, okay, okay, so when you get to Cincinnati, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I, I he meant Columbus or something, but you know, he meant Cincinnati, and what had happened was 
uh, we suddenly discovered kind of out of nowhere that Chris Rietzma was going to make his big league debut right. and be the Reds' third starter, and they needed someone to go, and George was already booked for the next Flames trip. Sure. So I got basically Sakan. sent to cover this. Yeah. And it was it – was, it was, yeah, it was second choice. I'm not going to – No, no, was, seconded, not seconded, seconded. Oh. Right, so pulled in, and uh, it was uh, – Probably one of the coolest things I've ever covered, actually. Really? Yeah, because it, it, it was, if you've covered, and, and at that point I'd done nothing but beat work, covered lots of beats, and, and mm. so you're, you're in the minutiae of who's on this line, who's injured, who might not play, who might be a scratch, and yep. oh, who came back, who, what's the power play. This assignment was to go and do Ritzma. And yep. so I went the day, be, we went two days before. It's hard to believe that this it was the money for this, but it was me and a photographer. Yep. And got there the day before the day before his start. And so the day before his start, I met Chris at the at the ballpark, and he got lost because he, he was new there as well. And we ended up in the dugout, talked for probably an hour, wrote a story about that. The next day he starts, wrote a story about that. And then, and nothing else mattered, right? What the Reds did, what, whoever they were No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No. no one cared. No. And the day after the game, did Ritzma, what is like after his first, and so it was only covering him, and it was really cool, like super cool. How do you explain that to people? Because, you know, you're a hockey guy in terms of that's your beat, and I was a hockey guy, but there is something about getting thrown into something completely cold and where you have to just rely on your basic instincts and write the story. To your point, you're not caught up in the minutiae. You don't have time for minutiae. You're, and, and I would think, Scott, I don't want to speak for you, but... Olympic City, you know, you probably have done Olympic sports. You probably have done some sports that, you know, maybe you're covering for the first time before you've even watched them sort of thing. Like, you know, lacrosse comes here. There's all kinds. Do you enjoy that part of the business? Yeah, well, in this case, I had, uh, and I would bet maybe there's very few things I haven't covered, from handball to darts to yep. bowling to yep. nine ball to whatever. Yep. And uh, and being thrown into a major league park. And, of course, it's – I think he was their number three starter, so it's three or, or four days into the MLB season. And only, I think, a week before I'd been in Columbus covering the Flames' matinee against the Blue Jackets. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. And, in fact, I can't believe it looking back. And at the time, Reed's was starting for the Reds – didn't seem like that big a deal, but me being from Calgary and being at the ballpark was a big deal. So I was getting interviewed. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't believe someone from Calgary would come all the way just to see him play a ball game. But of course it was much more than that. Yeah. And read some backstory with the, him being on the mound when a teammate got killed by lightning and he's broken his arm once or twice, just throwing a ball. He's a, a fantastic story. Anyway, so, um, but the fact that I got to be there, I don't know if I want to call it an honor. That might be too strong a word. No, but, but that's a pretty cool moment, right? Yeah. Pretty darn close. And yeah, his family was there. Anyways, it was so different from what I've just been doing, which was, you know, is, is Peter Buzak going to play? What, what's wrong with <laughs> Jeff Cowan? <laughs> so it was nice to go and, and, uh, it wasn't brand new because it was still sports running, but in yeah. a lot of ways it wasn't. Yeah, and I like I said to this day, it might be the coolest thing I ever covered. Yeah, having said that though, I want to ask you about to this day. 
um, because another really cool story is the is the rise of Mike Soroka. But the neat part about that story is Chris Reitzma is a through point in that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of yeah. neat to be able to for you to be able to kind of. I know you're not good. You know you weren't there when Soroka pitched for his first game, but there's those two guys are tight. That's kind of got to be neat, right? Yeah, and uh, you know both first round picks, both six foot four right handed pitchers, <laughs> both. Yeah, there's a lot of similar, and they're both again, super nice. Oh, guys. very nice. Like, yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable, and, and I still think that that's, you know, Soroka, their opening day pitcher at 22 years of age. It, it's unbelievable. Like that's an amazing story. Yeah, oh, and I know. and uh, and you're right. Their connection makes it even a more remarkable story. Yeah, and, and the story, if I when I think of Soroka, I always think. It's a great story, but it always makes me think of Owen Hargraves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy. So, so Soroka, Calgary kid, born yep. in born in Calgary, played Calgary yep. Little League or yep. whatever. And, and suddenly, he's, look at this. It's unbelievable. But Owen Hargraves, he plays city soccer, yep. like club soccer, plays for the Foothills. And not too many years after that, he's starting for England at the World Cup. I know. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and we never... We're able to really do that story because Owen didn't want to about. tell it, right? He didn't want to tell. Well, I think what had happened was um, when he got of age, yeah, he because of his parents' background, he could play for Wales or England or Canada, right? And uh, he chose. Well, he played a little bit for Wales actually, yeah. and then he ultimately chose England. Yeah, and I think he got crapped upon for not playing for Calgary or sorry, Canada, for Canada. Yeah. And I believe the family kind of shut down the media after that in terms yeah. of doing interviews. Yeah. And anyways, that's fully his. Uh, story. When I say the story's, every yeah. bit, the story's every bit as good as Soroka's, but it just never got told. Like it's a fantastic story. But I don't know and, which. And, but I remember it. Like I remember it because I got here and I remember it. But I just don't ever remember the access, access to, to Owen. And I'm I'm not. Please understand. I'm not taking a run at him. If somebody's a friend, family friend, I'm not taking a run. At him. He chose not to tell his story here. That's okay. Mike Soroka has chosen to tell his story, right? Mike Soroka and I, because I'm on sport or I'm on kids sport, I'll tell, talk about it. But Mike Soroka is is a kids sport ambassador. He wants to give back. He wants to help. He helps with our superheroes kids. He came on and talked to them on a Zoom call. That's okay. He wants to tell his story. But boy, you know, I hadn't remembered the name. I hadn't remembered Owen for a long time. And it's a great story because he was playing in the city. And then what? Two years. Three years later, something he, like that. He, maybe it was a, in his mid-teens. Uh, yeah. Uh, he went to Germany. Yep. And, and played there. Yep. But, but there should be soccer pitches named after this guy. Oh, but there, sure. There just ended up being no profile. And I guarantee in 20 years, there'll be, you know, a Mike Soroka diamond and... And he's a... But I, I think... But that's, and, but that's because, you, because you're willing to tell your story, right? I'm, I'm not putting down Owen at all. No. And in fact... No. He, he, in fact, he's in the media now, as, as it is. He's a commentator for English soccer. But yep. I remember the first time I, I, I saw someone tweeted something about this Soroka kid. He might be a draft pick or, and at that point, not a first round pick, just might get drafted. Yep. It's like, oh, wow, well, it's the summer of Calgary kids. So I sent him a note uh, through the magic of Twitter. <laughs> and, and I should have kept it. Uh, I asked him some about, you know, we should get together or do a story. And at that point, he'd been 15 or 16. And he said, I'll answer it. 
every question you have. <laughs> and in those terms, he was so Oh, earnest. I know. I know. And, and, and I, I go, do you want me to kind of maybe, you know, at that point, if he's 15 or 60, do you want me to kind of broker it through your dad or whatever? No. Whenever you want to do this, I'll answer every question. And so, and, and again, this isn't to put Owen down, but there's two great stories and one is being told. I think Wes Gilbertson's writing a story about Soroka right now. Yep. And one story, <clears throat> excuse me, one story didn't get told and, and it would have been a fantastic story. I it's think, lost its, but don't you think the, the sport was, you know, football, soccer at, at that time, 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago now, far more political than it is now. Because, you know, it's far more political. It was far more political. And I think you're exactly right. I, I think he got crapped on because he chose where he wanted. What, you know, if you want to go play in the World Cup, where would you where would you go? Like, if you had to make that decision, if you're a football player, you want to play in the World Cup, I I'm think, I'm, I'm think, I don't think it's a no-brainer to be per- Maybe Wales, I guess. But, you know, England was a right. no-brainer. Canada needed him. Canada wanted him, but everybody around could obviously see it wouldn't happen the first couple of go-rounds. He'd have to invest years in it to make it work, right? Right, and he was uh, a midfielder, and I believe more of a a defensive brand of midfielding, so he could have joined joined Canada, immediately made them better, but I don't know if he would have been that difference-making kind of piece that would have led Canada to World Cup glory. No. And I don't but, want but you're absolutely like right. He deserves to be recognized in his hometown. He reserve, deserves to be recognized. You know, just because he wasn't a great interviewer, didn't do interviews, shouldn't shun him from the opportunity to. You know, Calgary. We should be proud of him. We should. Absolutely. Yeah. But but we wanted. Uh, you know, we wanted to tell his story because it's such a good story. Like, can you imagine that playing. It, it wasn't like he was, you know, born in England and and had a semester at Sir Winston Churchill and then went off. He, right. He's born and raised. Yeah. But I think part of it too, though, Scott, maybe you agree, maybe you do, don't, but I don't think you can discount the role of the internet and social media have played in the last, you know, 15, 20 years in terms of making the world smaller. Going off and playing in England, you know, we wouldn't have been watching all those games. Now you <laughs> Alfonso Davies, you want to follow Alfonso Davies with Bayern Munich? No problem. You'll see the games, you get the scores, you can follow the social media. It's such a small world. Like, like we can watch Mike Soroka. We can follow every move. When Owen left, it was like he really left. He he went somewhere else, and hopefully yeah. we'll hear something, right? Yeah. Maybe that might be a bit yeah. of an exaggeration, but you know the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and we did... Through, we knew who his agent was, and through his agent, we we did make our request, and it just never went anywhere. No, okay. which is too bad. And I'm not crapping on the kid. It, yeah. It's just too bad because it's a it's a fan like an amazing story. Consider that distance, not well, literally also, but consider that distance from Calgary club soccer to starting midfielder for England at the World Cup. Oh, I know. It is. Um, what do you what do you remember? You talked a bit about the Stampeders, and there's lots of good to talk about. And I don't want to. It's not that I want to, you know, wallow in the bad, but you are a hell of a, t- a storyteller, and you do remember some funny things. What do you remember of Fateric and Fateri, and the, the, that, and even Matt Dunnigan, that whole 2000 Jim Barker 2003 2004 once proud franchise that really kind of fell on hard times there. Yeah, that's, um, I would have just been the, 
maybe the third stringer on, on the beat at that point. So behind Mike Petrie and probably Al Cameron as well. But yeah. it, it was, I, for some reason, it got brought up on Twitter the other day. F, F Troop, I believe yeah. everyone called them. Yeah. And it was, I, I guess the, the best way to put it, it was such a bad direction and terrible management that you look at it, John Huffnagel's value in a different way almost like what, what happened after like Holy smokes. Right. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, that guy is, is something. And, uh, and again, not a super warm, personable guy, maybe a little bit like Daryl in his own way, yeah. Huffnagel, but in terms of making a culture, fixing a culture, whatever you want to call it. But those, the F troop years were, they, they were sort of funny, but you felt bad for the players a bit and for the fans a lot. That's oh, that, abs- that's no absolutely, that's no, absolutely. That's no way to run that. No, like what amused us wasn't amusing the players, and certainly wasn't fair for the fans. No, there was there were crowds of sixteen, seventeen thousand at that time, and I often thought that those are your diehards, right? Like those are the people that are here that will put up with this crap. Because I, Fred Fateri is the biggest single individual loser I have ever met in sport, bar none. Stop. <laughs> Just nothing redeeming about him. I remember early on in my radio career, he came on, threatened Bruce Dobig and a former coworker of yours and mine. Um, he would make these outland. Remember, they were going to build an NFL style stadium by the airport. Um, we'd come to we'd come to a walkthrough, and there'd be these guys bouncing in the water in the hot tub, and they were UFC fighters or not UFC, but mixed martial arts fighters, and yeah, yeah. And to me, the everlasting Fred Fateri moment was when Mike, um, well, Kevin, when Kevin scampered in and scored and Fred Fateri ran into the end zone and hugged him. Like, yeah. So kids, if you don't remember that, it actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I think you mentioned Bruce and I think one time in the press box, possibly the misses of the owner. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. That's right. I saw and, that too. Yep. And uh, lit up Bruce. And of course, Petrie's sitting right there and it's, you know, it's right in his lap. So he wrote a story about it and they couldn't believe it. And what it reminded me of was um, when I was in Kamloops uh, during the playoffs one year, um, Russ Farwell, the Seattle GM and, and the Kamloops GM, Stu McGregor, got into a fight in the press box. And then both independently couldn't believe we wrote about it and it's like if you're gonna fight in the press box <laughs> where we didn't even have to get out of our chair we just had to swivel to get rid about yeah it's it is amazing what what some people assume and and think and like how dare you but when you're going to you know i i, I haven't remember i now i can picture it because i would have been in the second row in the press box and i would have been looking down to my left and she, there she was. And it was before the game, right? Like, if I remember correctly, it was yep. before the game. And so the press box wasn't full. There was room in there. But she gave it to him. And and, and Brucey, like, Brucey loved it. No, he loved it. He loved that stuff. Does. Loves that yeah. stuff. Um, and it, oh, most go ahead. of the years, too, was Lawrence Phillips here, was he not? Yes. Yes. And Lawrence, he couldn't. Lawrence Phillips. Did you cover uh, Ricky Williams when he came with um, the Argonauts? That's another one that I'll never forget. Right? 
Like the, and then Achilles Smith. Like I, I remember they needed a backup for Henry, and Bark. I remember Jim Barker signed Achilles Smith, and I went up to Jim and, well, Jim, tell me about Achilles Smith. Assuming I would get the old, wow, we really think he's, you know, we're excited about it. It's a great opportunity, and I remember Jim going, "It's his last chance. He better take advantage of it. There's no more. There's no more second chances." It's like, oh, okay then. <laughs> Like it was, you say what you will about the NHL, the CFL, you know, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was good. Like it was, walkthroughs were worth it. You know, the other team showed up and, you know, back when the two, the two head coaches would do the, the, the same press conference. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, most of the time they were, you know, not worth the, you know, the time you spent on them. But then Michael Clemens would come with Toronto and, He'd make everybody feel better about themselves. And my God, Matt Dunnigan's the second coming of, you know, of Bill Parcells. And uh, this is incredible. Like, holy cow. Hallelujah, brother. Like, it, there was a lot of fun to be down there. It was, just, it was just a lot of fun. And there was good characters, right? Great characters. Well, again, the Lawrence Phillips, I remember going down there. You're so excited to see this kind of legendary player. And where is he? And he was laying down in the end zone. Yeah. Knees were shot, yeah. I assume. Yeah. There yeah. he was just laying in the and I don't mean for five minutes, I mean for the bulk of the practice. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and I remember when Dunnigan was the coach, uh Miles Gorell and Trey Junkin, the uh special teams coordinator, playing bocce ball in the end zone while the team was practicing. Like that was the most dysfunctional thing I've ever seen in my life. They called it professional sports, and our good friend Michael Petrie was right in the center of it. Right? Like that was that was some fine reporting going on that year. Holy crap! Yeah, it was uh, and meaty. There was lots of stuff for him. No oh. boring days. Hey, but again, it just shows. I don't. I don't want to. Huffnagel doesn't need me pumping his tires, but no, brought credibility. Wanna... You know, Henry Burris brought credibility. Uh, Jim Barker even coming back and helping that thing. Ted Heller. There was, you know, Ted Heller was a story too, right? Like yeah. Ted was. You know, Ted was not shy about interjecting himself into the story and, and things like that. Like, dude, we we saw a lot. Like, you were there, were you not, for the first game of the Calgary Outlaws of the Canadian base, Professional Baseball League? Do you remember that? It was the year before. Was it was the year before the Vipers. It was the Outlaws. They didn't make it. They didn't make it all the way through. Was that Steve Trout coaching on that one? I believe so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I, I didn't see them. I saw a few Vipers games, yeah. but some craziness. The mid, the mid, yeah. that mid part of that, there was a lot of money around, and there was a lot of ambition around. ABA, did you go down to see the Drillers at the old Corral? I did not. No. Okay. It just it just seemed to be this period of time where craziness, you know, was just wild. Lots of stuff going yeah. on. Yeah, and now we're saying goodbye to the Corral, so that's a, another chapter that's, closing. That's hard too. Um, before I let you go, tell me, give me a couple of names that you enjoyed that you talked to over time, because that's, you know, part of our job, not my job anymore, but part of your job is to, you know, find stories. And there was some, boy, there's some interesting characters that come through the flames, um, in our time. Um, I remember you and I being at the Northeast at the Don Hartman Sportsplex, watching some summer camps and whoof. Oof, there, there was, 
You know, we we yeah. would make we'd make a lot of jokes about guys we were watching, um, and it wasn't their fault. They had nothing to do with it. They were just answering the call, but <clears throat> they were a million yeah. miles away from the NHL. Yeah, I, and it, I'm more likely to make fun of managers and coaches than these players because they don't always put themselves in those situations and stuff either. So I, I kind of, but I do remember seeing uh, you speak of Don Hartman. I remember Drove showing up yep. for a day. Yep. And he was as small as you'd expect and seemed like a nice story, but zero chance he'd play in the NHL. Zero. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He was, I remember he was paired up with Mitch Wall. For some reason, I remember him and Mitch Wall because Mitch had the distinction of being a rare second round pick by Daryl Sutter at a draft. And Mitch was, a, you know, a bit of a skilled player out of Spokane. And, and I just remember the two of them doing some sort of half ice drill down in the end we were watching. And, like, it was amazing, the skill. But, no, I mean, come on now. he No, there's no way. There's no way that kid, right? Like, right. it started there. It started there. There's no way that kid could do it. Right. And he, he'd come off the ice, and there's little Johnny, and uh, Chris Breen would come off the ice right after. And I think <laughs> Breen is six, yeah. six or six, seven. Yeah. And everyone would take that picture, and ah, ha, ha. Look, it's a foot difference. Ah, ha, ha. Yeah. And at that point, Breen might have seemed like a better prospect, to be honest sure. with you. Sure, sure. Realistic prospect, right? Right. Because of his size. A gigantic defenseman, yeah. But little bit of trivia, little bit of trivia. He did assist on John Goudreau's first NHL goal. It's true, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it is true. Yep. Yeah. Last time he was in an NHL game, but... (laughs) (laughs) Right? He's still playing. I think he's in Providence. Yeah, he was their captain for a while, wasn't he? And again, a nice kid, like a really nice kid. You know, lots yeah. lots of nice kids. Um, I just remember, like, you know, the times we could we'd spend with, um, oh, the former Blue Jacket. Uh, Flames signed him during the lockout in 0405, and then uh, um, Johansson. John- no, Johnson. Oh. Uh, on, um, Swedish defenseman. Played in the KHL for a bit. Bubba. Oh, uh, Erickson. Yes, Anders Erickson. Thank you. Not yeah, Anders Erickson. Yeah. What a yeah. sweet guy. Yeah. Like right, like and had great stories. Told great stories. Yeah, yeah. And you know, most if probably ninety percent of the players are super nice, and then there's five percent that are off the charts interesting and and engaging. It's one thing to be interesting, but you have to kind of engage. And then the remaining five percent are lousy yeah overpaid overpaid defenseman that you know didn't work out that got themselves into trouble and are no longer in the league not to mention any names yeah just right but but uh an interesting character and and i can't believe i'm gonna say this but it's hard to find a more interesting person than daryl oh and i know when um so we did an anniversary series to celebrate, you know, their Stanley Cup loss. But we did an anniversary <laughs> series on them in 2014, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you talk to about, you know, the usual suspects, about a dozen of them. And it's amazing. They all have Daryl stories. And some, you know, don't paint them in the greatest light. But, man, they all really liked him and really respect him. And, and we, we saw a, a different face of Daryl doing our job. But it's uh, it's kind of amazing. And it's super amazing when you consider the uh almost through the power of his personality uh the way he changed that group 
unbelievable. Oh, he, he and, and, yeah. And, and I, you know, did not get along with him. That's fair to say. That's a nice way to put it. But, uh, you know, I can easily take a step back and say, you know what? Imagine if he didn't show up. Oh, and, yeah. Because remember, they, they, they fired Gilbert. And then they, they spent uh, like a month looking for a coach. And it, it was going to be Ted Nolan or they were trying to get uh, Jim Playfair to come up yep. or they were going to get – there was no end. Nope. Like there was no end to the, the chatter. And so it could have easily have not been Daryl. Yep. And I don't know what would have happened. You, you, know, you know what would have happened? They would have been the Edmonton Oilers but earlier. They would have languished at the bottom and they would have got a bunch of first-round picks and who knows. They And I like Todd Button, so I don't want to besmirch Todd Button, but – you know, maybe they would have made some good picks. Maybe they wouldn't have made some good picks. But, you know, the the the, the yin and the yang of 2004 is it then launched them into this, this purgatory where they weren't quite good enough to go far, but they were never bad enough to get what they needed at the draft, right? You, you know, and, and give Jay Feaster credit. He came in afterwards, and he had to do some – he did some things there that needed to be done and, and got them some picks and players. And, you know, the team you're covering right now, uh, I would say Brad for Living has his fingerprints on, but there's a lot of Jay Feaster's fingerprints in there. And one of them, I know some like him and some don't, but what a pick in the fourth round in 2012, I guess. Right? Or 2011. 11. 2011, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, there's, there's not uh, there's chunks from all these guys there. And there's probably maybe some Daryl residue in terms of culture. I, I have no idea. But these guys... Well, they're, they're wouldn't in- you say, though, wouldn't you say Daryl's lasting legacy was expectations? That that Daryl, you know, Daryl's expectation was to win and to make the playoffs because that's all Daryl knew was winning and making the playoffs, right? right. And until he went to L.A., finally had success. But Daryl took Chicago, Daryl took San Jose, Daryl took Calgary... You know, Daryl got teams deep and, and eventually would win with L.A. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, even when other guys started to come in, it was disappointing that they weren't making the playoffs. And I think it wasn't back to, well, it's hard to make the playoffs. Oh, we'll get a draft pick. And now, eventually, they bottomed out and got some high draft picks. But I think Daryl put that expectation. It's not good enough just to be. You have to try to yeah. win. I think Daryl put that in. Yeah, and, and a lot of his methods – probably in hindsight might seem a little ridiculous or hokey or what have you, but uh, I still remember the first game he coached here. Uh, we were talking to him after about how long it was going <laughs> to take him to get a read on the players. And he said it took him 10 minutes. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. And you know what? He wasn't. No, BSing. no, no. He, he knew. And, and the, the, even that first year. So the, the end of the Oh, two Oh three season, the guys he didn't really like. He didn't even speak poorly of them. He just didn't speak of them. Yep. The no. players he had no designs on, they were they were dead to him. Cra- right? so, craziest thing about Daryl was Daryl the family man. Daryl with Chris and his kids and his family away. Absolutely incredible. Daryl, the general manager, just kind of walk. I mean, I, to this day, will never forget sitting uh, talking to Eric DeHatchek outside the Jumbotron room and Daryl walking by and stops and talks to us and goes, hey, what do you guys think of that Ole Jokinen? And this was like three or four years before Jokinen came. Like, 
Daryl the GM was forthcoming. And then there was Daryl the coach. And Daryl the game day coach. And then Daryl the coach on a winning streak. And Daryl the coach on a losing streak. And Daryl the coach on the losing streak was the best of all four. Right? Whenever When they were losing games, it was like he, he was light and loose. They were winning games? He no, no, you don't talk to him, right? Yeah, yeah. he's the yeah. best. He's the best I've ever seen in reading a team. He may not have been the best at pushing the right buttons because I think the players have changed. But to what you said, there's a, there's a lot of players that just give me the just give it to me straight. Just tell me. Just treat me like a man. Right. Daryl treated players like men, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he and you're right though. He after losses he was actually okay yep. he wasn't that bad yep and and always hardest on the good players yep. and like i said the fringe guys media darlings right <laughs> media darlings yeah i had that one crammed down my throat a number of times yeah oh yeah no no absolutely we were all why are you asking about the media darlings you guys just want to know about the media darlings right yeah absolutely but what was it i said uh i recently did kind of a story looking back at that vancouver series or whatever yeah yeah and and all the players talked about how, unbeknownst to us, but in the room he he was not gentler. You never use that word with Daryl, but he backed off a little bit because I think they figured the players looking back think figured that he knew if he broke a bunch of spirits in the middle of the Detroit series, let's say it was over, right? So he was smart enough to kind of well ride I- that line. This the story that that a couple of players and uh, it might be it might have been Conroy and it might have been Playfair that told me, but two different people told me the same story. As I got ready to play Vancouver, you know, did his coaching, didn't say a lot, no fiery no no fiery speech from the mound or anything like that, and they play game one in Vancouver and they lose five two or five three or something like that. Yeah, I think it was. Like that, yeah, yeah. Daryl walked into the dressing room and said. Okay, do I have your attention now? And right there, wrote on the whiteboard what they were going to do in the next game and the adjustments they were going to make and what worked and what didn't work. Right there. And it was the, they both said it was like he sacrificed game one knowing that the, the young guys needed to go through it, and now yeah. I got your attention, right? And there's a similar story about Detroit. You know, oh, you know, we're not going to win this series. Look at the papers. Nobody... Do you guys want me to go get autographs? Would you like me to get you, you know, Steve Eiserman's autograph? You know, kind of that sarcasm that Daryl was famous for. Yeah. But what he was doing was saying, I don't care what the writers are saying. I don't care that Brett Hall plays on the team. We're going to go beat them. And I think that was his greatest strength, right? Yeah, and I think leading up to the Detroit series, one of the Detroit papers might have had a headline that said sweep or here comes a sweep. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. On to the next round or something like that. Yeah. That was pure bulletin board. Oh, But, yeah, I heard this story, too, about I know Brett Hall. You want me to get Brett Hall's autograph? I I, I, know. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, and that's – he – I will forever – he taught me a lot about the business, Scott. He did. And I will forever be uh, grateful of that, but – Hard guy at times, like hard guy. You 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 couldn't be the faint of heart around him, right? Like, you no. know, he, he didn't suffer fools. The the traveling guys that came in here that tried to joke around with him, and you know, there's some guys we know that are you know, quote unquote, the GMs of the NHL, self proclaimed general managers of the NHL, and they'd come into town and they think they're 
you know, their act would, Daryl wasn't buying any of it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you played for one of the brothers or you played with one of the brothers or you had a farm or something like that. Like Shane Doan, let's talk about horses, right? Or whatever, like, there was lots yeah. of time for that stuff. Hey? No, and like I said, I, I had my struggles with them, but uh, watching them operate, it, it was, and a lot of it I didn't agree with. There was some pretty harsh mm-hmm. player treatment. Yep. But uh, in terms of interesting, holy smokes. And, of course, I don't know if you were there the day that he shot a puck at Mark Who's head. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed because, yes, I was. It was you and I that were sitting next to each other. And I remember as if it was yesterday, and I'll tell you somebody else who remembers it as, as if it was yesterday. Marcus. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know yeah. he listens to the part, podcast, so David, I'm not laughing at you, but um, I've never seen anything like it. No, and I, I saw it, and I couldn't believe I saw it, if you know what I mean. Yes, because you said to me, did I just see that? And I said, I think so. Did I just see it? We were sitting right next to each other, because I want to say it was towards the end of practice or it was the beginning yeah. of practice, but it was just a handful of us in the stands. Like, not a lot of people saw it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, Marcou was kind of off at the far side, and I, I believe that uh, Daryl wasn't happy with Kipper's off. No, Kipper was, if I remember the story correctly, Kipper was standing up and kicking pucks straight back up to the point, and Daryl right. wanted he the would- pucks into the corner, if I remember correctly. It, it was exact. I was going to say it was about. He wasn't happy with Kiprasov's rebound control, but uh, of all the players, though, by the way, that got not quite a free pass, but kind of a free pass with Daryl Kiprasov. Oh no, no, he knew what he had in Kiprasov. He knew yeah. he was not. He was not upending the apple cart there at all. No. So that morning, upset at his rebound control, did he say anything to Mika? No. But he'll shoot a puck at the goalie coach's head. You what? <laughs> and he. That thing was moving, and I bet you it couldn't have missed his head by six inches. <laughs> oh, please don't bring that up. Holy cow. He got his attention, though, right? He got yeah, his attention. was steaming. Oh, yeah. As he, he, as he, he should be. As he should be. As he should be. Right? Oh, as he should be. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was. And, I, and one of my favorite stories, and just to spare David any more of this, was one of Daryl's first practices. Um, you know, they're doing whatever they do, and, and Saprikin goes down in a heap. Yeah. Right? Yep. Saprikin's laying there. And the, the oh, probably like. Morris player goes to run on the ice, and Daryl told him to get the F off the ice. Yeah. And they continued to run practice, and they ran drills around, around Saprikin, who was laying <laughs> on the ice. And, you know, Saprikin got up eventually, dusted himself off, and <laughs> joined in. But it was to watch it, you're going, what the? What am I, what am I seeing here? Crazy. It, you know, you and I could tell stories. I mean, just, but that, I go back right to the, yeah, it was the goal. I did enjoy it. Like I, that part, I really did enjoy. That part, there there was something about that, that era, something about those guys. And maybe it was because the sport was changing and maybe because culture was changing or whatever. But you kind of had the feeling, you know, the internet was coming, the, the, the newspaper business was changing, the radio business was changing, TV was changing. You know, it was, it was a little more honest. I, and honest is the wrong word because that makes everybody sound dishonest now, but I just, I, I, I loved it. I loved the fact that, you know, the, the Sun guys would huddle with the Sun guys and the Herald guys would huddle with the Herald guys. And, you know, there was an uneasy truce and, 
and things like that. And I don't know. It was just fun. I always enjoyed well, it. And for sure, for sure, you had no idea what you were going to see down there. No, no. And you had no idea what Daryl would say. He came out when uh, Warner got concussed that one game. I think it was in Boston. Yeah. Daryl came out and blamed Goche. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't happy with Roman Turk and he told us to all go oh. look at his pads to see if there were any puck marks on them. Like it was <laughs> Oh, I know. But he was but him. he wasn't alone. Look, and I referenced him earlier. But those two years of Mike Keenan were something else too. Are we gonna tell yeah. the San Jose story? No, go ahead. Okay, so we're in San Jose and the Sharks have a practice facility. Okay. Now, there's two parts to that story because one was uh, Andre Wah. Wah, yeah. So, right? You remember this? Yeah, never forget it. So, the San Jose Sharks had helmets and skates that they rented to the public. And the helmets were the old Yammer Yager Jofa round ones, right? Not the Wayne Gretzky Jofa. But the the Yarmir Yager round ones, and they had I can't remember they had a big sticker on them, didn't they? Like a like a big sticker. Probably, probably said rental on it. Yeah, that's that's right, right. So the team comes out to practice, and here comes Wah, and he's got the helmet on. Well, everybody's laughing. Well, then he does the Bambi on ice thing. Like he he's a big dude, but now he's ankle biting with his legs spread apart. And his stick in front of him, and he's he's shimmying. He's not skating. He's shimmying. His hips are going, and it's you know it's a complete riff on somebody skating for the first time. Scott and I are watching from the outside. Two civilians. I don't know who they were. Two or three of them. I think they were coming in to play noon hockey, if I remember correctly. They're standing next to us watching, and they're going. Boy, that guy's no good. <laughs> like they're they're hook, line, and sinker that this guy is out there skating with the Calgary Flames. And he's no good. So it was it was funny. It was funny. Yeah, and you should point out he's one of the funniest guys ever come through that dressing room. Oh, ever. He wasn't there very long, but but holy cow, could he make you laugh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I, we want to talk to Keenan after practice. Keenan Keenan would do this thing, start practice, and he'd leave practice. So, um, we were, this was November or was this January? I, I couldn't say. Middle of the season, not the beginning of the yeah. season and, and Keenan's second season there, not his first season, his second season. That's an important point in this story. Yes. Yeah. Very important point. So we're waiting in the lobby. Here comes Keenan and Sean Kelso from the Calgary Flames, outstanding media relations person. Um, yeah. And I think you said, hey, how are you, coach? Can we can we get a minute with you? And he just walked right by us. And <laughs> Kelso kind of looked at us, went outside, um, came back in a couple minutes, and he was laughing, right? He was laughing. Yeah. He said, and he, what are you laughing about? And he goes, Keenan just asked me who you two guys were. <laughs> <laughs> He was, so he would have seen us every day for a year and a half, but that was Mike. Minimum. That that was yeah. Mike. Every yeah. time we met Mike Keenan, we met Mike Keenan for the first time. And, and, then, and then when he came out. No, we went out. Remember? We went out to the bus. 
he came out and said he wanted to talk outside. Yes. I guess someone explained who we were and what we needed. Yeah. We went outside and we're kind of standing there further and further till we're in the far part of the parking lot because he wanted to get some sun, yep. some vitamin D on yep. his bald head. Yeah. Yeah. He was staring at the sun and we went over there and he said, he said something to the effect of, ah, nothing better than vitamin D. Like, That's a, weird yeah. is the day is long. Like, I mean, that was incredible. He's laughing. Yeah, what he's laughing at? He doesn't know who you. He's asked me who you guys are. <laughs> and, and and while he did make the playoffs both years. Yep, he did. And while he and while he pulled one of the most curious goaltending pulls I've ever seen in Game Seven in yep. San Jose. Yep. You you pull your goalie. You put in the cold guy. You pull Mika Kiprasov. You put in the cold guy who allows a goal on his very first shot. What? Anyways. Yep. So you kind of. You never know, but remember at Playfair, he had um, garbage bag day of his year, which was yep. 06, 07. They yep. lose to Detroit. Yep. And for Jim, he, it felt like he was in a pretty good mood, even on garbage bag day. And for, for some reason, I got into my head, oh, he must have just got assurance that he's coming back. Yep. And for all I know, maybe he had just got that. And then he's replaced by, uh, by Keenan. Yep. So I've always kind of wondered what uh, if they... If they kept Jim in that spot. What do you think? Oh, like, I, I know he had his, I he think... had his own... You know, he was learning to be a head coach at the NHL level too, but he got a single year, made the playoffs, and then he's replaced by this... I don't want to speak too disparagingly about Keenan, but... Well, he was a legend, but he was a legend in, in, a, in a couple of decades prior. The, the game had passed Mike Keenan by. He had been a general manager with Florida. He got fired from that. He'd been a blowout patch coach, Boston for a couple of years, a couple other places, a couple of years. It, it, he, he was not... You know, when we talk about recycling coaches, he was the poster child for... It's not surprising to me that was his last NHL job. I always wondered about Jim whether or not he should have gone somewhere else to be a head coach. Being Daryl's assistant, I'm just wondering if... Because Daryl yeah. is an all-encompassing guy, right? Like, you know, he has strong opinions on how his team should be run, and he certainly made those, you know, clear. Um, but I don't think... I think Jimmy would have got that team to the playoffs. I think Jimmy would have settled in, be, found his own voice, found his own legs, and become a better coach. I really do. Um, you know, maybe I'm proven wrong because he hasn't been a head coach in the NHL since then, but... It was a difficult situation. Um, I get, you know, Daryl and Keenan had a, a, a relationship that went all the way back to the Chicago days and the whole nine yards. I right. get that, respect that, understand that. It just didn't work. That When he came out with Willie Mitchell and the long stick comment one time, and, you know, Mike was, and you and I laughed about this, Mike was so great at reinventing the game, right? Like, Mike invented so much. Like, he'd tell us the same story about going and measuring this. Where was he measuring the corners? Was it in Toronto? They were measuring the corners of the arena. And yeah, I, for some reason, I remember a story before he got to Calgary about being totally unsatisfied with the dimensions of the rink that the Coyotes played in, uh, that basketball rink they played in. Oh, yeah, the, originally in Phoenix downtown. Yeah, and yeah. he came out and said, uh, it's, it's 10 feet too short. The rink is 10 feet too short. And so they measured it, and it turned out to be half an inch too short. And you know what he said? Told, Told you. you. Yeah. 
after saying 10 feet. But he, he would tell Pat Croce stories, right, with Philadelphia. We were the first guys to get guys to ride exercise bikes. And, you know, I coach lacrosse. I'm the guy that invented putting a player on his off wing. And, you know, Mike, Mike was really good. He loved to tell stories. He really did. You know, he was a storyteller. He wasn't, we didn't learn anything from Mike. You didn't, I, I always felt like you learned something with Brent, Daryl, Jimmy, um, probably uh, Gullitson. But I always felt like Keenan and Hartley were storytellers. They, they just, they kept pounding you about their history and their accomplishments and what they did. Um, right. You know, and, and again, n- nice enough guy. It's not bad. You just wrong guy, wrong time. Yeah, yeah, and of course here, um, not that this is a totally different topic, but there's been too many coaches here. That's oh. we can talk about that another day. But and maybe it's not different than a ton of other teams. But when Giordano has played for eight or nine coaches, and Bennett, who's like 24 years old, has played for four or five coaches. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I that's that's for that, another day. That's part of it too, though, right? Like. But that's an that's also an NHL thing. I think you look at the Ottawa Senators, and maybe it's a yeah. Canadian NHL thing. I don't know, but Edmonton's like that. You know, Vancouver's had a, a raft of them. You know, at a certain period of time. Um, are you are you not nervous anymore? Well, when are we going to start? Yeah, we should start soon here because we're almost two hours in. Um, okay, so the last question for you is the one I ask all my guests on this podcast. I can't believe we've almost gotten two hours. I'm so nervous, Rob. I don't know if I'll, well, how long is this going to go? An hour, Scott. Don't worry about it. It'll be an hour. And we're almost two hours. My last question for you, I ask all my guests, I do not put any parameters on this. So I'm going to ask it, and you answer it any way you want. Scott Crookshank, give me your hidden Calgary gem. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. Hmm. Well, I would have, uh, you know, I would say a pizza place I frequent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is uh, Wheat Pizza by Jay, it's called. Yep. And in my mind, by far, the best wheel in town. Okay. But it it's uh, it's been a victim of the pandemic. No. Yes. And it's uh, kind of behind Nick's, you know, you yep. know, Nick's by the stadium. Yep. It's kind of behind. And Nick's has got a good pie as well, I should mention. But yep. uh, Wheat Pizza, by far my favorite place. And I don't go out, much, go out much, so I'm not sure about how many hidden gems I've got, but that definitely would be it. And also former hidden gem, I guess I should say. Well, uh, for the purposes of this conversation, you're my hidden gem. For a guy that doesn't think oh. he's very good at this, I told you it'd be easy, right? It's just telling stories. It's just telling a few lies. Nobody got hurt. I'm a little sweaty. I'm a little sweaty. Are you a little very sweaty? Few, very few lies, I should say. Oh, no, no, no. Very few lies. Yeah. Just a few to be. embellish the stories, but very few lies. Right. Um, good stuff. Love you, brother. You've been so good to me all these years and everything like that. I, I'm honored that you do this. I know this isn't your favorite thing, but the fact that you, you did this, you know I'm a big fan of your writing. I've always thought you're one of the best reporters I know. So thank you, and and continued success with The Athletic. Thanks a lot. And thanks for having me on, believe it or not. <laughs> How much fun was that? We we were wondering if we could get a half hour, Scott and I. I was never concerned. Here we are, almost two hours, uh, a great conversation with my pal. Lots of, lots of meat on that bone. Um, Scotty's been uh, doing this for a while. Calgary kid, you know, left, comes back, and, 
you know, it's not so much about covering the Flames for him as about covering. And he's a really good writer. Like, you know, Scotty's not, you know, you know, big TV guy or radio guy. You know, he was really good on this podcast. Scott is a and a really good writer and a really good features writer. So well worth it. Uh, if you're a sports fan and you haven't checked out The Athletic, I would suggest you do that. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to all of our guests. Uh, go back again. We've got a library of over 50 conversations from all kinds of different people in sport in and around the Calgary area. Really proud of the director. We're adding. We're adding a little more, a little slow in the summertime, but we're adding a few more. We've got some really good, cool guests coming up in the next couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to that. So thank you for stopping by. This has been the original Six Feet Conversation Podcast for Sport Calgary.